This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. I want to express my gratitude uh, to the Department of Romance, Languages, and Literatures at Villanova University for their kind invitation. And it is my pleasure to be at this institution to share of, uh, a sample of my research, which is, uh, well, the topic anti-heroism and failure in Alvaro Uribe's novel Expediente del Atentado and Jorge Ponce's film El Atentado. And thank you for your time and, and for being here. Um, in 2010, Mexico celebrated the bicentennial of the beginning of its war of independence and the centennial of the start of its revolution. Aside from the official celebrations with all their uh, pomposity and media display, historians, writers, filmmakers, and other artists seized the opportunity to question the official versions regarding those crucial moments in Mexico, in Mexican history, and to offer an alternative, non-complacent view on those two events whose consequences, along with their interpretations, reinterpretations, and rewritings from the state apparatus, were instrumental for the formation of the moder modern Mexican nation. Uh, I have an example here of those rewritings, uh, Diego Rivera's murals in the National Palace in Mexico City. Uh, he, well, he, he created several murals there about Mexican history, about the Mexican Revolution, the independence, and other uh, crucial moments. So this is an example of those reinterpretations of history in art. In contrast with the 19th century Latin American historic novels that monumentalized national heroes, Mexican authors and filmmakers of the late 20th and early 21st centuries have provided a different view of those heroes and represented them as human beings with contradictions and failures and not as monuments or semi-divine characters. In, addi in addition, they tell the stories of anti-heroes who had been marginalized or transformed into villains by those who wrote the official histories. They have also questioned the supposed infallibility, objectivity, impartiality, and truthfulness of the historical discourse. Indeed, during the 20th and 21st centuries, history and fiction have established an intense interaction and shared not just the facts of the past as raw material, but also their techniques to represent such past. Such past. As Gabriel Osuna states, and I quote, uh, I have, well, I have a translation here. I will read it in the original. Mediante un discurso que pertenece a otro género, la historia ha sido puesta en evidencia por su parcialidad y sus limitaciones como instrumento de construcción de una realidad, revaluada mediante los ejercicios literarios contemporáneos. Two examples of such alternative cultural productions are, Al are Alvaro Uribe's novel, Expediente del Atentado, and I will translate it, uh, the title has Dossier of the Killing Attempt, uh, published in Mexico in 2007. We have the cover here. Uh, and Jorge Fons's film, El Atentado, uh, The Killing Attempt, an adaptation of Uribe's novel released in 2010. The movie. Both works deal with the figure of dictator Porfirio Diaz and his, contra his contradictions and weaknesses. Uh, well, we have, uh, this is the author, uh, Alvaro Uribe, uh, who was born in 1954. Uh, he received the Elena Poniatowska Prize, uh, Ibero-American Prize for this novel, Expediente del Atentado, uh, uh, in, in 2000. 
And we have here uh, Jorge Fons, born in Tuxpan, Mexico in 1939. And uh, he has dealt, he has, well, he has worked with uh, history in, in several moments. For example, uh, he created uh, Rojo Amanecer uh, about uh, the uh, students' movement in, in 1968. And, and he's offering a different version of, of that, uh, of the massacre of the students in 1968. Uh, and here we have Porfirio Diaz, a dictator of Mexico, um, who governed uh, the country for over 30 years uh, between the 19th and 20th centuries. Uh, he, well, they also, well, they offer a representation of Diaz as an authoritarian paternal figure who concentrated power in an extreme way and despotically governed the country with the help of what I call his political offspring a selected group of ministers who learned how to interpret and obey their political father's commands, despite they were not always openly expressed by the dictator. In this presentation, I will analyze how Expediente del Atentado and El Atentado resort to metafiction and metadrama to create both an anti-heroic figure with picaresque, picaresque features and, and, and alternative views to the official truth. I will compare how both texts use the various versions of the killing attempt against pre pre President Diaz to offer a rewriting of the Oedipus myth in the Mexican political system. In addition, I will explore how illegal and le legalized violence against the disloyal and disobedient children of the re regime, as it is represented in both works, was a functional element of Porfirio Diaz's machinery of war, of power. Furthermore, I will refer to the ways these works of fiction seek answers to those questions that have not been answered have, have not sorry have not been answered by the historical discourse which of course is is an, it is an instrument of power both expediente del atentado and its cinem cinematographic adaptation refer to a historic event that happened on se September 16 1897 when a man named Arnulfo Arroyo attacked Porfirio Diaz in Mexico, Mexico City in the middle of the celebrations of the 87th anniversary of the beginning of Mexico's War of Independence. So this man, uh, well, this is Porfirio Diaz represented uh, in, in the movie. And we have here uh, the real Arnulfo Arroyo, the man <coughs> who, who attacked Porfirio Diaz. Uh, I took this, this uh, photo from, from a 19th century book, well, uh, Historia del Gran Crimen. Um, and we have here, well, a Roger represented in the movie by Jose Maria Jaspic. Um, after a Royal's failed killing attempt, he was apprehended and hours later was stabbed by a group of policemen wearing civilian clothing and exclaiming, Viva Mexico, Viva el General Porfirio Diaz. Uh, long live Mexico, long live General Porfirio Diaz. Uh, and uh, well, I have the, that moment here. Uh, it's a little clip about that moment and how there are several. Well, you'll see there are several versions of of the attempt. So let me. I hope it works. <laughs> Uh, 
Arnulfo Arroyo, there, Porfirio Díaz. different versions of, of the attack and when when the attack occur, occurred happened there were many versions throughout the city and <coughs> these were kind of the kind of versions uh, they were talking about different versions but the last one was well he just could hit him with with a fist that's the, the only thing that happened um, Uribe and Fons used fiction to offer an alternative perspective about perspective about this event and a view on, on, Diaz, on Diaz's regime as a machinery of violence whose main objective was to restrain the people's demands for social, social justice. In addition, both the novelist and the filmmaker focused on Arnulfo Arroyo's Arroyo as an anti-hero who represented the hatred and disaffection of those who were less favored by a system that supposedly promoted order and progress. The novel and film show a network of corruption and, and complicities that made the violence machine work. Such a network had its nodal point in Porfirio Diaz himself, who is presented by Uribe as a patriarchal figure. According to the narrator in Uribe's novel, Diaz is an unattainable father who had been created to command, and everybody else should obey him as though they were his children. Such a view corresponds with the statement Diaz expressed during an interview with an American journalist, James Krillman, in 1908. 
we have the quote here. We preserved the Republican and Democratic form of government, yet we adopted a patriarchal policy in the actual administration of the nation's affairs, guiding and restraining popular tendencies with full faith that an enforced peace would allow education, industry, and commerce to develop elements of stability and unity in a naturally intelligent, gentle, and affectionate people. So I, well, I emphasize the, the, those words, enforced peace, that enforced peace, known as Pax Porfiriana, implied the regime's violence against its disobedient offspring, those who were neither gentle nor affectionate, according to Diaz. For example, in those years, thousands of members of the Yaqui and Mayo tribes were deported from their lands in northwest Mexico to the southern states of Oaxaca and Yucatan, where the regime forced them to work for Diaz's gentle and affectionate offspring the owners of the big haciendas. And so we have an example here, uh, captured Jackies going into exile from Sonora to Oaxaca. Um, sorry, this kind of piece is the context for the construction of the figure of the anti-hero in Uribe's novel and Fonse's film. In both works, Arnulfo Arroyo, whose nickname was Fito, embodied the hatred and discontent of Diaz's less, less favored children against the patriarch. Uribe's novel, Expediente del Atentado, is a historiographic metafiction. According to Linda Hutchin, the line between history and fiction gets blurred in this kind, this kind of novel. Furthermore, in historiographic metafiction, the pro protagonists are usually the eccentric, those who are margi marginalized by history and the classic historical novels. Many of them are anti-heroes. In addition, one may find two main modes of narration in historiographic metafiction, the use of multiple points of view and a narrator who controls the information. However, as Hutchins states about these two main modes of narration, and I quote, in neither, however, do we find a subject confident of his, her ability to know the past with any certainty, end of quote. No doubt, both modes are present in Rives' novel, which is comprised of three parts called, called carpetas, files. And these files include documents that offer several points of view on Arroyo's killing attempt and his death. Within these files, there are government documents, police reports, love letters, newspaper clips, pictures, a brief play, uh, and many entries taken from the narrator's journal. The narrator is identified as FG, initials allu alluding to Federico Gamboa, uh, a Mexican naturalist writer born in 1864 who worked for Diaz's government as a close collaborator of the Minister of Foreign Affairs. FG, or Federico Gamboa, controls administers the vo and administers the voices and texts that become part of the files <coughs> and questions the official versions of the events. The first file, uh, uh, file titled Ar Arnulfo Arroyo, focuses on the character who tried to kill Porfirio Diaz, his motives and tragic destiny. The second one, titled Eduardo Velázquez, includes stories and documents relating to the conspiracy led by Velázquez. Uh, this is the real Eduardo Velázquez. Uh, who was chief of Mexico City's police and a good friend of FG's, to silence Arroyo in order to prevent the, the latter, Arroyo,
from disclosing Velasquez's and his subordinates' participation in the planning of the killing attempt against Diaz. So Arroyo was not by himself. In the third one, titled Villavicencio and the Others, the, the, readers finds a, the, the reader finds a description of the trial against those who planned Arroyo's murder and killed him, including Inspector Antonio Villavicencio, Velasquez's closest collaborator. The mixture of self-reflection, fictionalization of history, and historicity of fiction are present in the novel. For example, in the following passage, the narrator, F.G., makes comments in regards to the dossier he wants to create with a purpose to write a novel. Such a dossier is the one that the reader supposedly has in his her hands in the form of, of a literary text, the novel itself. And um, this is a quote. Uh, I will read it in, in the original. Procedo a abrir desde luego y en el más estricto secreto un expediente extraoficial con las noticias, rumores, comentarios, conjeturas, divagaciones y hasta fantasías que deriven del atentado. ¿Quién quita y tenga yo entre manos el asunto de una novela reportaje, de una ficción basada en hechos comprobables al estilo de mi amado maestro Emil Solar? On the basis of its metafictionality, Uribe's novel is connected to the tradition of the Latin American archive novel explored by Roberto González Echevarría in Myth and Archive. Like many Latin American novels, such as Alejo Carpentier's Los Pasos Perdidos and Augusto Roa Bastos's Yo el Supremo, Expediente del Atentado pretends not to be a novel. However, unlike those works, Uribe's text is disguised as a project for a novel. In this three-file dossier, F.G. foresees the or origin of a literary work. His wishes are related to González Echevarria's idea that, and I quote, the archive may very well be the most powerful, powerful of cultural retentions and the origin of the novel. Because of the power and secrecy implied in the archive, FG's unofficial, even clandestine collection of documents challenges the state's own archives since the objective of FG's archive is to explore a different version of the events. However, FG is afraid of the power of his dossier and abandons it in a chest in order to avoid the enmity of Diaz's regime which, which has provided F.G. With, with lots of benefits. Thus, F.G.'s project for a novel becomes a failure, just like Arroyo's killing attempt. While Alvaro Uribe resorts to historiographic metafiction in order to question the official truth, in the case of Jorge Fonse's film, El Atentado, he uses meta-drama meta to fulfill that same objective, emphasize Arnulfo Arroyo's anti-heroic characteristics, and ridicule the figure of the dictator. Uh, Richard Hornby defines metadrama, and I quote, as drama about drama. It occur occurs whenever the subject of a play turns out to be, in some sense, some, some sense drama itself, end of quote. In Fonce's film, there are five sequences showing theatrical representations in a pop popular Teatro de Carpa, or tent theater. Such representations function as counter discourses and become the space where members of the impoverished sectors express their discontent regarding the political and socio-economic situation in Porfirian, Mexico. In one of those sequences held in the popular tent theater, two actors represent a dialogue between Diaz and Chief Velasquez. The one representing, representing Diaz wears a ridiculous costume 
with a vest full of medals and a long fake mustache, while the other is wearing a capi and has a sign over his chest saying, Chief of Chiefs. Both talk about Arroyo's death and Diaz rebukes Velasquez for not having fulfilled his orders. Didn't I ask you to take care of the disaffected, disaffected detainee, says Diaz referring to Arroyo. The chief argues that Arroyo dared to attack Diaz. The latter gets even angrier and asks the following question, which of course was the, the one that many people were asking themselves. Who killed Arroyo? Velasquez answers with another question. Was he the police? No, replies Diaz. Was he the system? Asks, asks Velasquez. No, says Diaz. Velasquez fi finally affirms, the people, sir, because the people love their president. Then the police chief strokes Diaz's mustache and the dictator smiles. The spectators immediately exclaim, no, and throw various objects to the actors. In the middle of that turmoil, the actor representing Diaz says to the one representing Velasquez, finally, you speak with wisdom. For Diaz's government, that was the only acceptable answer uh, and the one that was first published in the newspaper that the people had killed Arroyo because they loved their president. So I have, unfortunately, we don't have uh, English subtitles, but uh, you, can, you can see how, how this uh, metafiction works here. presented as a failed Oedipus, both in Uribe's novel and Fonse's film. Rivalry between the son and the father is a key element of the Greek myth of Oedipus, both in Sophocles' text and the oral tradition that goes back to the second millennia before Christ. And they uh, have, well, of course, the presentation of Oedipus killing his father Elias. Arnulfo Arroyos expressed in Fonse's movie I'm sorry, Arnulfo Arroyo's parricide motives are explicitly manifested in Uribe's novel, while they are not openly expressed in Fonse's movie. In the novel, the link between father and son is well established. Arnulfo's feelings for Porfirio Diaz change from ex exultant admiration and love to disrespect and filial, filial hatred. Arroyo asserts that he saw Diaz as an unattainable god and had adopted him as a strict, wise father. Arroyo says, we have the quote here, Yo le tenía una íntima devoción a Porfirio Díaz, a distancia, una distancia análoga a la que mediaba entre los hebreos del Antiguo Testamento y su Dios inabordable, lo había adoptado como el padre enérgico y sapiente que mi padre verdadero nunca fue. 
Arroyo openly mentions that he once wanted to become like, Di like Diaz and enter the military academy for that very reason. In this way, he reinforces his Oedipal impulses since, according to René Girard, one of the characteristics of the Oedipus, of Oedipus is that he desires to be like Laius, his father. However, Arroyo adds that Diaz disappointed him because he had established peace and order on the basis of thousands of pacificados, people who were murdered or disappeared. Then Arroyo compares Diaz to a Spanish conquistador and connects his figure and politics to the physical and symbolic violence and trauma implied in the Spanish conquest of Mexico. I felt abandoned, deliberately condemned to be an orphan, says Arroyo. My interpretation is that Arroyo had a double frustration. First, he could not become like Diaz because he was not able to stand the military life and left the academy. And second, Diaz's ideal image as a father disintegrated, disintegrated on account of his despotic ways. Thus, the real Diaz snatched Diaz's ideal image from, from Arroyo. Therefore, Arroyo lost the model he wanted to emulate. In other words, a peculiar Oedipal triangle was established. Diaz was both Arroyo's object of desire and his rival at the same time. Moreover, both Oedipus and Arnulfo Arroyo are marked by fate, but in different ways. Although Oedipus tried to run away from his fate after the Oracle of Delphi let him know that he was going to murder his own father and commit incest with, with his mother, he inevitably faced his fate. On the other hand, Arnulfo Arroyo states that killing Diaz was his fate, but he could not attain such fate regardless of his efforts. No doubt, as represented in Uribe's novel and Fonso's film, Arnulfo Arroyo's killing attempt is, a, attempt is a breaking point in late 19th century Mexico. In those times, Auguste Comte's uh, positivism and quasi-monarchical veneration for a dictator who controlled every aspect of Mexican life were current values in a society that would have felt like an orphan if their political father had disappeared. In Uribe's novel, one can perceive his, this feeling in the words of a policeman who guarded Arroyo in Velasquez's office and was one of Arroyo's youth friends. ¿Qué pasó contigo, Fito? ¿Cómo es posible que quisieras hacerle daño al señor presidente? ¿Te imaginas qué sería de este pobre país sin él? Arnulfo Arroyo's anti-heroism derives from his lack, lack of acceptance of the status quo. As Gonzalez, Jose González Escribano explains, an anti-hero might perform heroic acts because he, she is not the opposite of the hero. So an anti-hero is not really the opposite of a hero. In other words, the anti-hero represents values that are different to those implied in the hero, which are not necessarily negative and in many cases are positive. The anti-hero goes beyond the hegemonic values of a society and becomes a factor of change. He, she might be seen as a real hero by those who do not belong to the hegemonic group and are part of what uh, Claudio Lovitz Adler calls a different, and I quote, intimate culture, which is a culture of a particular social class in a specific region, end of quote. For example, in his study about crime and criminals during the Porfirian era, Alex James Garza indicates that uh, Arroyo would become a sort of folk hero among the urban poor immortalized in corridos that would be, no doubt, 
sung in the very cantinas that he had once patronized. And I have here an example of, of a corrido song dedicated to Arnulfo Arroyo. It's, uh, it's anonymous, but it, it was created by a well-known uh, popular artist in, the, in those times, Jose Guadalupe Posada. It's a, a song dedicated to Arroyo. From my point of view, Expediente del Atentado and El Atentado vindicate the anti-hero figure of Arroyo and bring him from the margins to the center. I consider that both works are part of the trend that Elizabeth Guerrero has perceived in the Latin American fiction from the 1980s to our times, whose objective has been to rescue those secondary, secondary figures that were marginalized by history. I also, also argue that in both works, Arroyo plays the role that Ramon Oblas attributes to the picaresque character to represent the less favored classes a critique against an aristocratic elitist system. As presented both in Uribe's novel and Fonso's film, I see Arroyo as an antecedent despite his failure of the Mexican Revolution of 1910, which finally overthrew Diaz, who fled to Paris, France, where he died in 1915. By his attempt to kill Diaz, Arroyo apparently wanted to destroy the regime's monopoly of violence. I call Arroyo's action an, an attempt to perform a political parasite, which is the literal, literal or symbolic elimination of the one who holds power by those who were once allies, subalterns, and even <coughs> admirers of the president, dictator, or caudillo. In order to avoid the parasite, the political father usually commits what I call polit political filicide in an indirect or direct way. Therefore, Expediente de la, del Atentado and El Atentado are representations of the political parasite filicide cycle that has been functional within the Mexican political system since the 19th century. This cycle is a result of what Mexican author Carlos Fuentes, based on the ideas of Max Weber, called the Latin American patrimonialistic system, characterized by the loyalty of a group to their political chief, despite the latter violates the law. In fact, such a group should be loyal to the political patriarch and not to the law if they want to receive the benefits of the system. Violence and repression are key factors to maintain the, these groups and the population's loyalty. That system is a perverse machine that in order to hinder the rival's desire for power, produces a flow of violence that is functional to the aforementioned system and generates the concentration of power in a few hands. The representation of such a system is evident in Expediente del Atentado and El Atentado. The violence machine punishes treason by killing the traitors in literal and symbolic ways. Eduardo Velázquez, chief of the Mexico City Police, apparently supported by one of Diaz's ministers, uses Arroyo to perform a, a failed killing attempt. Then, Velázquez would apprehend Arroyo in order to strengthen his own position before Diaz and receive benefits from the patrimonialistic system. However, Diaz becomes aware of the treason and decrees his minister's symbolic death as he sends the latter to the Mexican embassy in Finland. Meanwhile, Velázquez is apprehended and suspiciously, suspicious, suspiciously dies in jail. The official version is that he committed suicide. This version is also questioned by Uribe's and Fonse's works. For instance, with the use of a peculiar edition based on repetition and variation, Fonse defies the official version of Velasquez's suicide. And that is the last, the last clip I have for today.
is in jail, and uh, you have different versions of, of his death. For Arroyo, the okay. uh, yes. Uh, yes. As for Arroyo, the official version was that he died because he was supposedly an anarchist, someone who wanted to harm Mexico's future. A piece of information, well, a piece of information published on September 17, 1897, in El Imparcial, a newspaper very partial to Diaz's regime, is an eloquent example of how the official history demonized and marginalized Arroyo. Este hombre repugnante trabajaba por su propia cuenta, hijo extraviado y corrompido de una familia honrada. Para él solo tiene atractivos el delito, solo voluptuosidad es el vicio. Su conciencia se extravió desde bien temprano y se manchó en la ciénega de los bajos placeres dentro de los cuales ha vivido. Olvidó que la época moderna es de trabajo y de virtud, y por inaudita perversión de su espíritu, quiso romper el molde de las más preciadas virtudes cívicas y privadas porque sabía que era impotente para practicarlas. Si ha querido darse por medio del delito una notoriedad y una gloria siniestra, atacando a un grande hombre, logrará su objetivo en el castigo. Álvaro Uribe's novel, Expediente del Atentado, and Jorge Ponce's film, El Atentado, invite the readers and spectators to question the fallibility of history to represent the truth about past. They also encourage them to identify those characters whose importance has been blurred or suppressed by the official history despite their role as precursors of crucial events. It is not arbitrary that the slogan that was used to promote Fonsa's film was, in this country, truth is never revealed. At the same time, the machinery of power, with violence as one of its key elements, keeps working, although the regimes with their own patriarchs and caudillos have changed throughout the decades. questions the official version for it. And in the novel, he, uh, well, and in the, in the novel and in the film, he's a, a good friend of, of Arroyo. Well, they were, they were in school together, so he knew the, the context of Arroyo's life, etc. So, and he's, he's questioning, he's questioning the, uh, 
the official version, but he doesn't want to express that he does not accept that version because he's part of the system. So, but the text, the, the, the and that's, I think that's uh, the bottom line that the, uh, the, the dossier, that is, well, the novel is a dossier, is very dangerous and, uh, because because of, of, of his character, of, or its character as a questioning element uh, in, 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 in that moment when, when Porfirio Diaz uh, was uh, in, the, well, in the summit of, of his power. So in other words, uh, what we have here is another totally different, like the opposing version of the official. Yes, history. yes. I would like to address uh, interpret that in different ways uh, that of course uh, Porfirio Diaz uh, created a monument of himself in many ways but uh, actually he was a human being or uh, this uh, this uh, minister of gobernacion or minister of the interior was his compadre so yeah, but he right. uh, since he was the patriarch uh, he, he needed to uh, to punish him, but uh, of course uh, he has this schizophrenic situation that he he shouldn't be uh, weak in front of everyone, but he can he's weak uh, uh, well in solitude, and uh, and, and that's well those are some of the how can I say uh, yes the, the the movie especially the movie is presenting him as a sometimes ridiculous figure uh, that's, uh, well, he has the power, but sometimes he, he's a, uh, um, he doesn't know how to do with that power sometimes. Yeah. Excessive egos tend to be ridiculous mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. time to time, right? Yes. So. You're welcome. I'm just wondering if you can consider the Oedipus complex as a metaphor for you know, the, the two types of uh, versions of reality. Like, I think you made an interesting point that the son is not opposite of the father in many ways. He's an extension of the father. So how does that, you know, what's the true purpose? In other words, there is no official version, but is, what is the purpose? Is it to let people decide for themselves what the official version is for themselves? Or in other words, is there an undermining of any version? Yeah, my, my interpretation is that both, uh, both uh, well, the filmmaker and, and the novelist, they are uh, trying to let us know that 
there's no any historic truth at all, uh, at all that it is a consensus right. and uh, and sometimes the state want to wants to uh, push that consensus and it is not a consensus then uh, for instance I'm thinking about a recent event the Yotsinapa <coughs> situation when the well the government says well this is a historic truth and, and literally they say this is a historic truth they were uh, kidnapped they were burned uh, and they were well they, they are now in th their ashes were thrown away to, uh, to the river right. yeah, and everyone says but there, there are no there's no enough proof to say that but they said this is the historic truth so that's why uh, I think these two uh, cultural productions like are, uh, are questioning those uh, historic truths that the, the government throughout the years uh, have, have tried to, to establish. Uh, this is part of a broader project, and I, I am analyzing not just the, the Porfiriato, but also the, the versions about the Mexican Revolution, the versions about the uh, 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 movement, the student movement in 1968, and the versions about uh, Luis Donaldo Colosio's uh, assassination in, in 1994, right. who was a the presidential candidate. And, this is this is part of a, 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 a project in, in, in Mexican literature throughout the 20th and 20, 21st century. So, questioning the official truth. For that reason, I, I was struck by what you said toward the end of your talk. When you said that, the, that it's presented, I believe you said in this country, as the truth will not be revealed. Yes, yeah, so I think that 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 that's not the best. That that doesn't encapsulate the kinds of things that you're talking about and that we're talking about here. And that there isn't a truth that will or will not be revealed, but there are multiple truths, or that the truth itself is a very is yes. either very slippery or very multiple or inexistent. And so I wonder if I was just kind of struck by the fact that the notion of the truth will not be revealed still relies on there being a truth, which yes. you're yes. arguing against. Yeah, right? in a, I think that relates to my question, because if there is no such thing as one truth, then the official version is as valid as the non-official. Right. Uh, but it's funny that in this novel, it's not presented as a possibility or as a partial truth. Uh, you know? Yes, it, it, yes. Yeah. it's interesting. What, what, I, what I see is that, uh, they are saying, well, we need to explore more. Of course, uh, history is about that, to explore more. We can find more documents, more proofs, more testimonies that can change a view of what we have uh, now as a, a truth. So yeah, we, we could say that, uh, of course, uh, uh, there's no one solid truth. and. Uh, and uh, in fact, the the truth is not probably never revealed. But in this case, for example, the case of Ayotzinapa, uh, I, I was listening to Lorenzo Mayer, who is an historian, talking about this situation. Said, "Well, th this truth is not uh, well. The, the the victims are not believing this truth. They are not uh, satisfied with this truth. So they they have the right to look for." For more evidence, for more, for a different version, and, and then to have uh, peace after that. I think if, if we continue on that line of discussion, 
the official version may not be part of this because it is a priori accepted that it's superior mm -hmm. to the other version that destabilized this view. So I think that's why he's presenting three versions without really saying, okay, this is the one that I think is the real version. It says all versions are possible. And because truth is not really the event, the way it happened, but it's a matter of perspective. It's a discursive construct, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why the, the official version, at least in the film, is, is the dictator's person himself. That's what I think represents the official version. I don't mm -hmm. think you agree with this characterization. Of uh, yes, yes, of course. Uh, uh, how, well, how history, of course, Porfirio Diaz has been seen as a hero and as a villain in both ways, because he was a hero in the, uh, the, the war against France in the 19th century. He was in the Cinco de Mayo battle. And he was a hero, but at the same time, he's uh, portrayed as a villain, especially by, by the post-revolutionary uh, governments. So uh, in a certain way, uh, we can see how Fons and, and Uribe is also creating this image of, of uh, Diaz, not as a monument, but as a human being who cries, who, when he's alone, or, or well, he, I don't know if you remember that scene when he was trying to put on the jacket and he was kind of ridiculed, and uh, he's a human being as, as well. From what you're looking at, it, there, there have been some changes in the teaching of this part of the picture in the history classes in Mexico in the last 50 years or uh, Yes, uh, and, and, uh, and the way this, the historians see that, that well, that moment in Mexico has changed as well. Trying to uh, to see Porfirio Diaz also as some someone who did some things good, uh, especially during the time when conservative governments uh, were established in Mexico between 2000 and 2012. Certain change, things changed in in the cur curriculum in, in elementary and and middle schools about that. So trying to to show Porfirio Diaz as a, probably as a, uh, a pa patriarch, but a good patriarch in a certain way. So things are, of course, those are, the interpretations change uh, throughout the, the, the decades, of course. Well, of course, we had that uh, interpretation by Valle Inclán with Tirano Banderas, but it's thought to be Porfirio Diaz, and he makes him out to be a puppet or a mm -hmm. A ridiculous figure, so that's there from the 1930s on. Yes, yes. So he has been reinterpreted uh, re in, in several, several ways, and uh, and also, well, I I, I didn't uh, indicate it here, but in a broader paper, I, I talk about the connection with uh, uh, El Otoño del Patriarca by Garcia Marquez. Well, I establish connections of between both works.
understand that you read it and see the movie re re yes. real world. So, no more questions? So if there are no more questions, let's thank our speaker. Thank you very much. Thank you.